Hello and welcome to the Feminist Talks. This podcast is brought to you by the volunteers from the feminist group at Melanfolkli Sanvike in Aarhus. In this podcast series, we will discuss different aspects of feminism, topics related to it, and why is this movement still relevant in our society. Today's topic is about abortion rights and activism. Feminism and gender equality are important components of MS's mission to stand against inequality and discrimination. We are an intersectional feminist group which is open to everyone of any gender. Our campaign group meets once every month and schedules regular activities at Café Manfolk, including the feminist café discussion group and Draw With Us, Women's Art. We also participate in activism around gender inequality in Denmark and beyond, including the annual Women's Day March. My name is Lavinia, I go by she, her, and I'm a volunteer in the MS Feminist Group, and I'm also a high school student. Hello, I'm uh, Judith, I go by she and her. I'm a queer feminist activist in Menemfolkli uh, Samvirke Aarhus, and I, I have an academic background in cultural studies and wrote my master thesis about um, the use of storytelling in debates on reproductive rights in Germany and Ireland. So I spend a lot of thoughts on what abortion cultural means in societies. Hello, my name is Zeynep. I go by she, her, and I'm also a volunteer with the feminist group at MS Aarhus. In addition to that, I'm a scientist and researcher at Aarhus University, but uh, this is not my research area, and I would like to state that I'm not necessarily here as an expert on the topic, but I strongly identify as an intersectional feminist, and I'm very passionate about abortion rights as a human rights issue in general from the perspective of bodily autonomy as well as access to healthcare. We would also like to let everyone know that this conversation might include topics such as sexual violence and death, so we strongly advise listening to this podcast together with a trusted person and in a safe space. At first, we will bring a general overview of the need to discuss this topic and how more and more countries want to revoke the right of abortion. We will run through the current situation in different countries and give some examples of what is done and can be done to make the situation better. So I would like to start off by asking, why is abortion relevant from a feminist angle and why is there so much fight about it? And I think that's a very important question that we really have to discuss in depth. So first of all, reproductive rights are very important from a feminist perspective because they have been controlled very tightly by the society as well as the power structures um, that are in place in order to control people who can get pregnant. And uh, they're also very closely tied to bodily and sexual autonomy um, as well. Uh, going back just a little bit in history, not even that far, but thanks to the invention of the birth control pill, as well as the beginning of the feminist movement in the 60s, people gained control over their own sexual and reproductive autonomy, which allowed them to take charge of their own identity, and this was especially prevalent in the Western world. Uh, before I go any further, I want to say that as intersectional feminists, we acknowledge that pregnancy is not limited to cis women and we advocate the use of inclusive language, such as pregnant people or people who can get pregnant. We also want to emphasize that this bodily autonomy needs to be present for all people who can get pregnant, and we would like to shift the focus away from purely gender identity or biological sex. But uh, coming back to the topic, so since the 1960s, there have been many regressive laws and legislations that have been implemented in order to set back the rights um, as a means of maintaining the current patriarchal power structure from an ideological point of view. And in many countries, access to abortion, unfortunately, also comes with a price tag that not everybody uh, would be able to pay easily. So restriction um, of abortion in many instances um, also specifically targets those who are economically disadvantaged, since people with the funds can, regardless of the circumstances, often obtain an abortion in a relatively easy manner. So we have to also think about um, its effect um, on people who struggle with finances and poverty to begin with. And coming back to bodily autonomy, um, according to the 2021 report released by the United Nations Population Fund, which included data from uh, 57 countries, uh, found that nearly half of the women are denied their bodily autonomy. And this UN report was the very first time that there was a specific focus on the power and agency of individuals to make choices about their bodies without fear, violence, or coercion. 
Um, while this report was not limited to abortion only in terms of bodily autonomy, abortion, um, as we know, is also a violation of bodily autonomy and needs to be included um, in this count. And um, the picture is even more grim if we were to approach this from an intersectional feminist perspective and include all people who can get pregnant and not just women. Um, and in this case, the picture is, as I mentioned, more grim, not just in terms of the numbers, but also because of the additional discrimination and challenges that are placed. And finally, abortion is very important to talk about since it is closely tightly to healthcare, uh, which in my opinion should be viewed as a universal uh, human right to begin with. Not being able to access safe abortion uh, could result in many medical complications, the most serious one being the death of the pregnant person. And banning abortions, as we have learned um, from many, many years in history, does not necessarily mean that abortions will no longer take place, as people who can get pregnant will want to um, maintain their bodily autonomy. Yeah, if we um, look um, more specifically on um, different countries all over the world, we can see, unfortunately, that many countries are currently implementing repressive laws on, on abortion, like Poland we are going to talk more in detail about later, or El Salvador. And all those countries where the government is cutting down the access to abortion, we can, we can see how this is actually, like you just said, Zainab, a, a health issue for every single person that can pregnant, because whoever is physically able to become pregnant can at some point in your life just end up in in the situation of facing a crisis pregnancy and being in the need of getting that health care and and there's the saying that if if men could get pregnant abortion would have been legal all over the world for a long time so this is very much a feminist topic as we can see that Roughly 50% of the world's population are just denied a basic health healthcare service by their nation. What we will also see in some examples later is that abortion politics are also a political tool for patriarchal and conservative forces to stand their ground in a world that keeps changing and to show that they still have a say in a world where less and less people believe in and support conservative and patriarchal institutions like the Catholic Church, their world still rules. Expanding on that point, can you give examples regarding your own countries or from an international perspective? Personally, I grew up in Germany and... Um, I've been observing the legal situation in Germany the past years with growing frustration and anger because what I experience every time I talk to somebody about how the situation in Germany really is, I face a lot of surprise because Germany is usually expected to be a very, very progressive country, but in practical terms, abortion might be possible to to get if you fulfill certain requirements, but I would say it has never been legalized formally. Um, so we have a quite paradoxical situation where abortion is a criminal act listed in the criminal code under murder crimes, but the government is not persecuting you, if you have an abortion, if you fulfill certain conditions. So it might not have legal consequences for you. And this is also why a lot of people don't know about this legal situation. But um, obviously, this is a symbolic act to stigmatize abortion. And uh, that, has an, that has an effect on, on people who, who need that healthcare service. And uh, this is probably also why the conservative forces in Germany are so much holding on to their monopole on family politics. Now just to briefly say something about the situation in Denmark, where we are all located right now. 
there's luckily not that much to say. Abortion is legal, it is free of charge, and uh, it is possible up to 12 weeks of pregnancy. It's relevant to say here that the time is measured from the first day of your last menstruation and not from the day of conception. After the 12th week of pregnancy and up to the 22nd week, a um, council of experts would then evaluate the situation and decide whether there's a serious reason to, to justify a so-called late abortion, but those cases are rather rare in the statistics. So in my case, I hail from three different countries. Um, I was born in the United States. I grew up in Turkey. I spent most of my adult life in Canada. Then I lived in the US and now I'm located in Denmark. So I will start by going over the country that is most progressive when it comes to abortion rights, and that would be Canada. Uh, to highlight, it is not quite perfect there either. And there are debates taking place kind of in light of what is going on in the United States um, in terms of abortion rights. and anti-abortion activism, just like in most places in the world, um, is alive and well in Canada as well. But to highlight that um, in Canada, abortion is legal and publicly funded. And depending on the province or territory, um, abortion can be performed um, up to anywhere from 12 weeks of pregnancy until 24 weeks plus six days of pregnancy. Uh, for the other two countries, the situation is a bit more grim. I will start with Turkey, and um, this surprises a lot of people, but compared to most of the Middle Eastern countries where abortion is illegal, in Turkey, at least on paper, abortion has been legal since 1983 until the 10th week um, after conception. And this period can be extended if there is an endangerment to the pregnant person's life or the life of the fetus. And during the 10 weeks, an abortion is allowed um, for the following reasons. The pregnancy threatens the woman's mental and or physical health. Uh, the fetus would be physically or mentally impaired if the conception occurred through rape or incest and economic or social reasons. And if the woman is under the age of 18, then parental consent is required. Single women would not need consent from anybody. They can request an abortion. And if a woman over the age of 18 is married, then there is need for consent from the husband. And this is where things start getting a little bit murky compared to what is defined in the law. So first and foremost, um, many public hospitals nowadays refuse to, refuse to perform abortions. And private hospitals can cost a lot of money. So we are talking about hundreds of um, US dollars, which is not a small sum in Turkey at all. And many people cannot pay that kind of money. Also in um, 2012, the government of Turkey tried to reduce the 10-week pregnancy limit to six weeks, but the feminists in Turkey fought very hard and won that battle, thankfully. Uh, that being said, the president of Turkey, Erdogan, um, publicly calls abortion a crime and says women should have at least three children. So he has been extremely outspoken about his views when it comes to abortion. And as a result of this, anti-abortion practices have been systematically implemented. Um, and since 2012, it has pretty much turned into a de facto ban. And many of the providers of abortion services are afraid to provide it because of the potential repercussions that they can face from the government in any form. And low-income individuals, um, and nowadays this also include, includes um, the refugees from Syria, have to turn to back alley clinics that do the procedure illegally. And it is also not uncommon for hospital staff to try to make a pregnant person feel guilty or threaten them to change their mind about getting an abortion. And as I mentioned, um, unfortunately, Turkey is one of the more progressive nations when it comes to the Middle East, and the situation is even more grim in other countries in the region. And as for the United States, um, it, is, it is a very divisive topic to say in the least, unfortunately, but abortion is legal since the landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision. But there is a lot of de debate that is taking place right now, and many forces are doing the best they can from a political perspective to limit access to abortion for people who can get pregnant. Could you offer a bit more clarification and why it's such a burning topic at the moment? Right. And it is a very complex issue that goes back many decades, but focusing more on the relatively recent past that I can talk about. I feel like this movement gained much more traction and media coverage since the election of Barack Obama in 2008 
Um, this was a major defeat to the Republican Party, which felt the need to kind of reconsider their philosophy and work on reinventing their platform. But this was also the point that the more populist and libertarian Tea Party movements pretty much took over the party. And it wasn't just the Tea Party, but the evangelical Christians also gained a much stronger voice in the United States. So I personally sense that abortion debate has become a lot more public um, since that time. And it was a very divisive period that is still actually the case in the United States. But that's when the divisions became very, very visible and the battle lines were drawn very clearly. And then in 2016, election of Trump, um, with the help of the evangelical votes, um, really emboldened the anti-abortion movement, bringing us to um, today. But to give you a few numbers, um, and these are only from 2021, um, in the first half of 2021, 561 abortion restrictions were introduced in the United States, in many states, and 97 of those restrictions were enacted into law by August of 2021. And since Roe v. Wade in 1973, 1,327 state abortion restrictions um, have been enacted. So you can really tell that um, there, is, there is a battle against abortion rights taking place in the United States, and um, this has got much more visible over the last few years. One of the most prime examples um, for this would be the 2021 Texas abortion law. So as of September 1st, 2021, abortion is illegal in the state of Texas once a fetal heartbeat can be detected. And this could happen as early as six weeks into pregnancy. And many individuals who are pregnant don't necessarily know that they are pregnant by this time. And this is why this is very, very scary. And people across the country uh, may also soon be able to sue abortion clinics, doctors, and anyone helping a pregnant person get an abortion in the state of Texas. So this also shifted kind of the monitoring um, and policing of this behavior from the state to individuals, which makes the law very innovative in a very, very bad way. And as a result of this, many clinics in Texas have been closing down out of the sphere and that they cannot deal with the fines and all the complaints that they may receive. So this is a very, very dark time. And in many other states as well, uh, near-ban abortion restrictions have been put in place, especially the southern states and the midwestern states. Um, these could include a wide range of practices or tactics, such as uh, mandatory wait periods. After a pregnant person finds out that they're pregnant, it could also be in the form of um, forced um, ultrasounds to induce guilt and shame. Also providing misinformation, even by um, healthcare professionals, about abortions in order to further discourage the pregnant person from getting an abortion. And some other more technical limitations have been put in place with the pretense of worrying about the pregnant person's health. These could include things such as how wide the hallways of abortions clinic need to be, medical doctors at the clinics um, must have hospital privileges, and also um, mandates also include clinics needing to purchase additional very expensive equipment that they actually do not need because we know that abortion in most instances is a very safe procedure to perform. So these are only theatrics in order to make sure that people cannot get access to abortion. And on top of that, not many people can travel for miles and sometimes across state lines if they would still like to get an abortion, um, as it costs a pretty penny to say in the least. There are many people out there who don't have access to cars. Public transit may not be an option in many instances if you're traveling really far. They also cannot take the time off work. Um, and also, if they were to need any time to recover, they would not be able to um, kind of have that either because of financial struggles. And again, because they cannot take time off from work. And the recent appointments to the Supreme Court and also passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg make this an especially dangerous time in the United States as the judges um, on the Supreme Court are getting more and more conservative, which threatens the future of Roe v. Wade. And it is pretty much officially at risk for being overturned at this point. So we're all watching this with grave concern. Yes, those are some really scary developments over there in the US. And unfortunately, we don't even have to have to go that far geographically to see similar scary developments. And I think the most the most talked about one recently was probably Poland. I want to explain a bit more in detail what exactly is going on in Poland. 
because first of all, so there has been a change of law in, in 2020. Before 2020, the access to abortion had already been limited to three cases. The first case when you can have an abortion in Poland is when the pregnancy was conceived through rape. The second one is if the life of the pregnant person or the pregnant person's health um, is being endangered by continuing their pregnancy. And the third one would be cases of fatal fetal defects. So just to stress the situation in Poland hasn't been that great before because here we are not even talking about about deciding about your own body about deciding yourself if you want to carry out a pregnancy this has been off the table already before but so what changed in 2020 was that before the this last category the cases of fatal fetal defects covered about 98% of legally carried out terminations in Poland. So pretty much all of them, right? Um, and this is exactly the case that is now ruled to be unconstitutional. So 98% of the former legally carried out abortions are now not legal anymore. And that means in like in the reality of, of a pregnant person, that if you are pregnant with a fetus that already in like very early stages shows fatal defects, in other words, that has an extremely low chance to survive during the whole course of a pregnancy or the birth, is now not allowed to have that pregnancy terminated in this very early stage. So you would have to wait until how this often framed nature is taking over and the pregnancy terminates by itself. I'm now paraphrasing by a person who experienced that themselves. How it feels is that one is forced to carry on a pregnancy with a child that will never live. So this is emotionally just really, really tough. Like, I think it's hard to find words for that. And not only that, the reason why Poland has again been very much in the news, even a while after they implemented that law, um, was because it became public that a woman with exactly a diagnosis of a fatal fetal de defect of her pregnancy, she died in a Polish hospital because the doctors did not perform an abortion. Why do they not want to perform the abortion? This is a legitimate question because if you remember, one of the two still legal reasons to get an abortion in Poland is if the life of the pregnant person is being in danger, right? And um, the answer is that um, the doctors in the hospital, they, they waited and waited because they had to be 100% sure that they are acting according to the law. If they had performed the abortion without enough reasoning, so if they were not 100% sure she's going to die, if there's like the slightest chance she can survive this, they would have performed an illegal abortion. And that means that they would have faced up to three years of prison, not speaking about the end of the end of their career as doctors. So therefore they waited until it was too late. We can see here how how dangerous it is also to to implement laws that that threaten doctors from like doing doing the work they they need to do. They are threatened from saving saving people's lives ultimately. And uh, what we can take from this incident is that the change of law is not only banning all abortion cases in Poland, it is very much threatening the lives of everyone who can get pregnant in Poland because they cannot be sure that they will, when they get pregnant, receive the medical care that they need. They will 
have to take the risk that the potential life of the fetus in their womb, no matter how big the chances are that this fetus will survive, is gonna be more important than their own life. And this is, of course, drawing very much back to what we talked about in the beginning, that abortion is healthcare. And um, if you are familiar with European abortion politics, as I said in the beginning, I did research about the, the situation in Ireland. This case looks very scarily familiar and the legal situation in Poland looks very scarily familiar. In Ireland in 2012, Sarita Halapanawa died under very similar circumstances in the hospital. And uh, her death became the starting point of wide protests in the country, which led to a referendum and ultimately to a vote to liberalize the law on abortion in 2018. But so knowing that we can see that Poland is going backwards in history and that they could have known they saw, they could have seen the example in Ireland. They could have learned from it. We have a hundred of testimonials of abortion stories from Ireland. They could have listened to the people in Ireland and what they endured during that time. And um, they could have done a better job providing, providing the health care to their citizens they deserve. But unfortunately, they, their conservative ideology was overruling human rights. So this is a question about ideology. Is this related to religion? Yes, very much. When we, for instance, look on the European map, we can see that abortion is more restricted in countries where especially Catholicism is deeper rooted in society. So as for instance, Ireland until it recently changed, but also Poland, we talked about before, Malta. Malta has one of the strictest abortion bans in Europe and also Italy or Germany. And um, yeah, that way makes very much sense since there's a statement by the Pope from last year where he himself was calling abortion homicide. So the Catholic Church is very very clear and, and very communicating very clear their opinion on that matter. But how can the church still have influence in citizens' access to abortion in countries like Germany or Italy? Mm. Yeah, so in both countries, abortion is officially possible without legal persecution. As I said earlier, I'm not saying it's legal, especially in Germany, that's not formally the case. Um, as it's still listed as a crime and uh, being listed in the same chapter as homicide, just just like the Pope himself would have written that law. But uh, as I said earlier as well, abortion is possible without punishment if certain requirements are fulfilled. Um, and one of those requirements is a mandatory counseling and that has to take place in a certified institution and uh, three days prior to the abortion. So this uh, counseling is by law aiming to convince pregnant people to carry on with the pregnancy, even though in practice they are not allowed to force you to, to carry out the pregnancy after this counseling, but they are, they are by law supposed to to try to convince you. So they are allowed to put pressure on you, kind of. And uh, so one of the certified institutions that is um, that is doing this counseling, it's called Donum Vitae, and um, it is part of the Christian church. It's part of the institution. And people who, who went to the counseling there reported afterwards that they were confronted with very disturbing descriptions of abortion. They were, they were shamed. Um, 
they were blamed for getting into the situation in the first place. There's really, really rough reports from people who had to go there and sit down and talk to a stranger about why they didn't want to carry out a, a pregnancy, which is like one of the most intimate topics to talk about also. And um, even though there are also other institutions like Pro Familia, who's much more progressive in that sense, um, it can depend on your location in Germany, whether you are able to also go to that institution. It might, so Donum Vitae might be the only, the only counseling provider that is like geographically somewhere near to you. And uh, there's not at all like enough knowledge about, about this process in the first place and then also about the different providers. For instance, there's also a website called Pro Feminina, so very similar to Pro Familia. And uh, they are also offering counseling. They are getting pregnant people into their counseling, but they are actually not certi certified. So they are just getting pregnant people there and they do exactly the same as Donum Vitae, probably much more hardcore because they are not certified under the law. So they will just get them there and stigmatize them and shame them. And um, yeah, the church can still be a gatekeeper to people's access to abortion because people who want to get an abortion might first have to go through basically an interview with the church. Imagine that. So you also mentioned Italy. Yeah. So um, in Italy, doctors are allowed to perform abortions, but they also have the right to deny it because of conscious objections. And uh, in 2017, almost 70% of the doctors identified as conscious objectors. And um, in certain areas, the rate even goes up to over 80%. And that can also be like followed back to the churches financing that hospital. Like imagine you're a doctor and the church is paying your salary. Like obviously, there can be put pressure on you whether um, to consciously object to perform abortion. And um, this insufficiency of practical accessibility to abortion, we can unfortunately also see that in Germany. Um, compared to 2009, the number of doctors performing abortions decreased by nearly 50%. And many of the remaining doctors are going to retire very soon. So we are going towards a situation also in Germany where people have to travel for hours to get an abortion because there's just nobody near who can do it. Like it's especially severe in Bavaria where most of the people will just have to go to the capital, to Munich. And uh, there's only very, very few doctors remaining who, who provide abortions. And the reason for that is also that the doctors themselves are, um, are threatened by, by people who would say that, that abortion is murder and that they are murderers. And um, it's, a, it's a really, really huge problem that, like, in that way, even though... Abortion is accessible legally. Let's say it's allowed. It's still practically not possible. And people traveling to get an abortion, that's kind of a worldwide phenomenon. But so, for instance, when the situation in Poland changed, other countries like Denmark um, talked about returning the favor because before Denmark legalized abortion in 1973, people people from Denmark went to Poland, which under socialism had, had much more liberal abortion rights at that time. And uh, so now the dynamics have kind of changed. Um, and uh, it's a very nice symbol of solidarity. And uh, it's a help that it's also very much needed in this crisis if other countries support the people from Poland. 
but we cannot forget that providing healthcare for these citizens would be the duty, the duty of the Polish authorities. And traveling for an abortion is not a solution. Remember that those people will have to be able to travel, that they will have to have their financial resources, the time, the right of movement. So if they also, if they don't have the resources to stay over, they have to return directly after the procedure. And there's many stories of people who just collapsed on the way back. Traveling for abortion is unfortunately necessary, but it is not an acceptable solution. And uh, I want to just really briefly mention the situation in Northern Ireland, um, because abortion has only le been legalized there in 2019, so very, very recently. But before, every pregnant person living in Northern Ireland would have to travel to Britain to get an abortion, even though all those people are citizens of the UK, they also they all pay the same health insurance. But if you live in Northern Ireland up to 2019, you would not get the same health care than on the British island. And in this situation, what could be done or what has already been done to create better conditions to further abortion rights? And that's a great question as well. I think the first thing that could be done to create better conditions to further abortion rights is to be mindful of how we talk about the topic, because words and terms matter. And I think at this point, one thing that we could agree on is that pro-life is a major misnomer. And it frames the debate in the light of moral judgment from the get-go. And I personally think that one of the biggest victories of the anti-abortion activists has been to get the English-speaking word to accept the term pro-life instead of any other term such as anti-choice or anti-abortion. So this automatically connects abortion with murder and instills this terrible judgment. And this leads to the brainwashing, especially those who are at an early age who first hear the term pro-life versus pro-choice. And it really derails the public discourse before a single opinion can even be shared. And I think as intersectional feminists, um, we need to be mindful of the words that we use when we um, frame the debate to talk about abortion rights. And we also need to highlight the fact that abortion is a human right to begin with. It's about access to healthcare. It is about um, maintaining one's bodily autonomy. And when it comes to other side pulling us toward the use of the word pro-life, we need to be resistant of this. Uh, there are many scholars that are actually doing work into the best terms to use. But it could be as simple as using pro-choice versus anti-choice or pro-abortion versus anti-abortion. And I feel like this research into the best terms to use will continue. But we need to be mindful of the way we allow people to frame the debate in the first place. Yes. And that also means that we need to listen to people who have abortions, who, who went through these legal processes, these also medical processes. We talked so much about now mostly the legal processes and not so much the medical ones, but we really need to understand what an abortion is, why people have abortions. For instance, there's this really widely shared image that this would always be this like young girl who got pregnant by accident and doesn't really know what she's getting into and what also what she would say no to and therefore needs to be protected by the state from taking a wrong decision. But abortion stories show and statistics back it up that many of those who have abortions are already a parent. So they know exactly what what they're talking about. They know what to expect and they, they are very capable of evaluating their situation and their family situation. What we also really can learn from abortion stories is that every person experienced the crisis pregnancy differently. And in most of the cases, 
they really know what they want. So all they need is the right to make an informed choice. All those examples we named during this podcast could also have been experienced differently by another person. Like if we talk about a fatal fetal defect, it can be really horrible for one person to carry on with that pregnancy. There's stories from from other people who did choose not to have an abortion until, as we said, like nature took over. And both choices are very valid because they are personally taking, they are, they are deciding about their own lives, about their own bodies. And uh, this is why it's very, very crucial to keep saying it's, it's not about taking away the, the right to, to decide in favor of a pregnancy. It's just about ensuring that you have the right to choose and that you can take an informed decision. Um, and information is also really a key word when we speak about abortion, because abortion is an extremely tabooized topic in our societies. And most people don't really know anything about it until they face a crisis pregnancy from one or the other perspective. So we need to demystify this practice because as history shows, and also as you said earlier, Zainab, no matter what governments do to forbid them, abortions will always happen. But they are significantly more dangerous when they happen in illegal circumstances. So listening to abortion stories is one step to get a healthier relationship to this topic, to eliminate a lot of myths about it, and to and uh, of course, to give a voice to the people who are affected about it, who knows best what they're talking about. And um, here we should actually also talk about stigma again, because one myth is that people who have abortions get, for instance, depressions afterwards or other mental illnesses because they regret their choice, because having an abortion is a traumatic experience. Um, and that has already been proven wrong by, by science a long time ago. And what actually causes psychological issues connected to an abortion, which does happen, is much rather the stigmatization one has to endure when their social environment finds out about it. Or that they, on the other side, for instance, suffer from the silence, that they have no possibility to speak about it because the topic is just silence in our society. So storytelling, listening to abortion stories is also a tool to destigmatize abortion. And I just want to highlight that there are also a lot of movements out there that facilitate practical help to people who are seeking abortion, uh, mainly on international, national, or local levels. And while this is in no way a comprehensive list, I'd like to highlight a few of them for information purposes. One of them is Women on Web, and this is a Canadian NGO which was founded in 2005 by Dr. Rebecca Gompertz, who is a Dutch medical doctor and abortion activist. So Women on Web is a team of medical doctors, researchers, activists, and help desk members. Women on Web advocates for and facilitates access to contraception and safe abortion services to protect pregnant people's health and lives all around the world. They rely on telemedicine, research, community outreach, as well as advocacy. And people who need safe abortion or contraception can have an online consultation with Women on Web, um, and this will take place with a medical doctor. And then once the uh, consultation is reviewed, then medical abortion pills or contraceptives uh, will be shipped to the person via mail. And they also mention on their webpage, and I also want to highlight that one thing I really like about their webpage is how it is inclusive in terms of language. And uh, their help desk also offers support in 16 languages. And their webpage is a good source of information, and their online consultation is apparently translated to 22 languages. So tr they try to make this as global as possible. 
Another organization that I want to mention is Aid Access, which was also founded by Dr. Gompertz. I also want to mention that she is a true inspiration to um, intersectional feminists and abortion activists worldwide. She was also included in Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the year of 2020. And having watched the documentary Vessel, which I will briefly go over in a bit, she is just this amazing person who has done so much for the lives of people who can get pregnant everywhere. But um, as I was mentioning in terms of aid access, this um, organization is founded in the United States um, in 2018. And it is a nonprofit organization that provides access to medical abortion by mail in not just the United States, but worldwide. And it is designed from the perspective of harm reduction and aims to provide safe access to abortion pills for people who can get pregnant and um, who may not otherwise have access to abortion or, mis uh, or miscarriage management services. I personally think that this is a groundbreaking way to empower people who can get pregnant in terms of taking care of their own bodily autonomy and healthcare in a way. And um, as they're able to self-manage their own abortion with remote access to a physician and help desk for any questions that they may have. I personally think that this is absolutely revolutionary. And there was this documentary made about Dr. Uh, Rebecca Gompertz called Vessel. And we actually had a screening of this here in Aarhus in December of 2021 as a part of the feminist group. And um, it received rave reviews by the attendees and it was very, very inspirational. It starts by highlighting her journey on this path of abortion activism um, on a global scale by um, the start of Women on Waves, uh, which was pretty much a ship that would take abortion services to countries in which abortion was not legal, taking advantage of the international law when it comes to um, the water. And then we get to watch as a part of the documentary, the development of Women on Web, and then also the beginnings of aid access. So I highly recommend everyone to get their hands on this wonderful documentary, which is just very, very touching with great messages and phone transcripts from individuals who are desperate to get the abortion that they need and to really understand the impact that these organizations are doing on the lives of these individuals. It's truly inspiring. And one other organization that is pretty well known in the United States, but I would like to draw attention to the services that they provide, especially in light of all the restrictive laws that are being put in place in the United States, is Planned Parenthood, which is nonprofit and it has been federally funded since 1970 in the United States. There are 49 locally governed affiliate operatives um, that operate uh, more than 600 centers in the country. and. Um, Planned Parenthood, in addition to other services, provide in-clinic abortions and access to abortion pill. And they also do abortion referral, which means that if the local Planned Parenthood doesn't have the abortion service available, they can refer pregnant people to other healthcare providers in that area that can be of assistance. The cost of an abortion can range anywhere from $0 to $1,500 American dollars, which is a lot of money. And this is, again, one of the things that we talked about. Um, the imbalance when it comes to access to abortion based on the finances of an individual, which is a big problem. Um, and this depends on health insurance, uh, state type of abortion, and how far a person is along their pregnancy as well. And if a per pregnant person does not have insurance or cannot cover this money um, for whatever reasons, or they don't want to use their insurance in the United States because of privacy reasons, uh, the staff at Planned Parenthood health centers can provide information about any programs in the area that can help with affording out-of-pocket costs. So again, this is not a perfect system, but just to highlight, there are many organizations all around the world that are doing their very best to ensure that people who can get pregnant have access to abortion services if they choose to have so. So could you point our listeners into any other directions or give them any other advice further? So definitely watch The Vessel. Other than that, there is a podcast called Abortion with Love that I listened to and loved and that especially includes a perspective from indigenous people on the American continent that we could not include in this podcast episode, but that is very, very worthy taking into consideration as well, especially um, if you are 
thinking about what is actually the the meaning of, of having having an abortion. Other than that, I want to do a shout out to In Her Shoes, Women of the Eighth. It started at, as a platform on Facebook, sharing abortion stories from people in, in Ireland, because Women of the Eighth is drawing back to the Eighth Amendment, um, the amendment that forbid abortion or banned abortion in Ireland. And hundreds of women did share their abortion stories on this platform. And there has also been published a book afterwards. But yes, if you want to read very diverse abortion stories in English, you can definitely check out In Her Shoes, Women of the Eighth. If you are interested in the situation in Denmark, if you understand Danish, then I want to recommend the platform Abort for Tellinger, um, both on Facebook and on Instagram, where you also can access some stories and um, can get a bit more of a detailed picture um, how the situation is in Denmark. Other than that, um, I want to recommend the page Center for Reproductive Rights. They're mostly doing campaigning in the US, but they also have a lot of resources and uh, like kind of even a network or community if you are working on a topic and want to connect with other people working on it. Lastly, I want to invite you when this topic catched your interest now just to to go and check out how the legal situation is where you're living or maybe in the country where you grew up or where you lived at some point during your life um, or where your family lives your friends who knows um, but just to to discover what the legal situation is and to get a bit more aware of it because a crisis pregnancy is a situation we all could meet at some point in our life. And um, I think it's time that we all become more comfortable with talking about it. We would like to thank all of you for joining us today. And we hope that this podcast was informational as well as inspiring. And we hope to see you soon. Thank you. And thank you very much for this opportunity for this conversation. This episode was brought to you by the feminist group in MS Ohus, which is a Danish NGO that works for a more just and sustainable world, collaborating with global partners, partners worldwide as part of the Action Aid Alliance. Here in Aarhus, we have over 100 volunteers working together to run a non-for-profit cafe campaign and educate in areas ranging from feminism, climate justice, anti-discrimination, economic inequality, to queer issues and refugee rights. You can come down to Cafe Melonfolk every day but Sunday for amazing food, drinks and events in a cozy cafe run by our lovely volunteers. You can also yourself become a volunteer, organize events, campaigns and even run the cafe. So go check out our Instagram and Facebook to find out more about the cafe and our campaigns. The links will be in the description.